And now for the Faith FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Good morning and welcome. So good to be with you all here on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positive leader at 88 in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. We already said that. But we said it again. But we said it again. Why would you send me up to do it if we already said it like, like yeah, you yeah. have responsibility at the start of the show? Yes. Well, it's, it's actually, it's, it's very apparent that you've been away. Oh. And sick and, you know, just. Yes, it has was very responsibility. I came in here this morning, everything had been moved. Everything had been changed. <laughs> Somebody else had been sitting in my seat. <laughs> Wonder who that might have been. It's kind of like the three bears story. Like the, the Goldilocks, you know, um, someone, yeah. someone's who's come been, in. Who's been sitting in my seat? Who's messed everything up? Who's moved everything? Who's changed my headset? Who's turned the volume down <laughs> so I can't even hear me. myself? <laughs> so, so it was me and Lyle. Like your headphones are so loud that not only are they just really loud, but they clip. Like if, if for those who are listening, you don't know what clipping is. It's when like audio peaks and they hit like the the ceiling of what the speaker can actually handle, and they it starts clipping. It starts going like, and and your headphones are so loud that they clip. Like it's it's not just that they're loud, but la like you need help, bro. Like <laughs> you, need, you need to go see a specialist or something because like I'm actually worried about you. Like maybe too many maybe too many years working in a workshop. <laughs> Potentially, that that might be what it is in the workshop on the tools. But we're we're so grateful that you're feeling better and you're you're here with us this morning. You know, ruining your hearing even more. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to get into positively different news, Lawson. What's the quiz all about this morning? Okay, we have our first question, which is: What is the seventh book of the Bible? If you know the answer, 0491-064-669. La doesn't know what it is. He's, like, thinking really. He probably, I'm just counting on my fingers. He probably well. knows what it is. <laughs> what is the seventh book of the Bible? 0491-064-669. We have a new prize for this week, which is Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, the leather, amazing, awesome edition. This is, like, one of my favorite Oh, this is, this is leather-bound. This is it's more than leather-bound, Lyle. It's, it's leather and amazing and... And like rice paper? Uh, I think so. Uh, no, I don't think nice so. Nice paper. Nice paper, that's right. And leather. In leather. Like it is an incredible, awesome, expensive, and amazing book. Like like I said, this is probably one of my favorite books. And really getting into like Thoughts of the Mount of Blessings is all about unpacking the sermon that Jesus preached on the Mount. Yes, the longest recorded sermon that we have in the Bible. And getting into how that can apply to our lives, what it really means to us, what Jesus is really talking about. 0491-064-669. Again, that question was, what is the seventh book of the Bible? If you can tell us, your name will go into the draw to win this. And yeah, all you have to do is call us, tell us answers. We're going to have all different questions throughout the show today. And the more answers you get correct, the more entries you get into the draw, which will be drawn at the end of this week. Sounds exciting. All right, let's talk about some positively different news. Okay, my positively different news has to start off with a report of what, well, I was doing this weekend yes. and what Lyle wasn't doing was this not week. doing. <laughs> because unfortunately, Lyle was sick and he missed out on an incredible conference called AYC, which I was attending and helping out at. And it was 
amazing. Like I was brought to such great joy and happiness and smiling. I was brought to tears. Like God really, really worked throughout this conference. And essentially what it was is all the young adults and youth. I'll tell you, it was the mostly young adults. There was a few people who were younger. There was a couple of uh, school groups that showed up and, you know, youth groups from different places. Um, but it was mostly young adults from around Australia getting together. And the big theme, the big question was, how can we be a witness to all nations? How can we reach our communities? How can we reach our loved ones? And how can we be the best witness? to share the gospel of Christ. And it was just so awesome. Like each day was just better than the last with incredible workshops, uh, amazing presentations, uh, but also getting really practical as well. Probably one of my favorite uh, events one of my favorite activities throughout the conference was on Saturday afternoon, I was leading an outreach group. And my outreach group was the TVAC, the Tweed Valley Adventist College. A bus of them had come down to Newcastle. And I was like ascribed to go and to help them and take them out into the community so that they could do outreach. And our strategy was one that I've already actually talked about on the radio. We went and we did beach outreach. Oh, nice. So I took all these kids there all year 11. It's the middle of winter. Yeah, I know. But nobody at the beach. Like I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. So I was, yeah, took all these 11 and 12 students along with the teachers who had brought this, this, this group down. And we went out to Newcastle Beach, to Nobby's Beach, that kind of area, the point right there. You know, they went down to Civic Park and whatnot. And they basically had surveys and flyers and they would walk up to people on the street and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm a student who's down here for a conference and I just need to talk to people in the community as a part of this conference. Would you have a minute to have a conversation with me about spiritual interest? And people would be like, yeah, and they would talk to them. And you got to believe, like, these are 17, 18-year-olds, 16 to 18-year-olds. Like, at first, it was really awkward. And they were really struggling to it because, you know, they're just young kids. Like, they're trying to... I uh, like throwing them in at the deep end. That's right. right. But it was really my job, ultimately, to <laughs> get them really, really encouraged and excited and just to let them know, like, hey, you are going out and doing a work that God has called you to do. You might not be talented at this. You might not feel like this is your spiritual gift, but... Okay, so two big questions out of this. First of all, what kind of a response did you get from the public? Mm -hmm. Like, was there people who showed genuine interest in spiritual things? Mm -hmm. Uh, Were you able to make connections that you might continue to have? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh And secondly, what kind of a response from the students after they've done this and they come back after having, you know, pushed their limits and spoken to random people mm. about Jesus on the street, how did they actually feel about that? Were they like, you know, this is this was weird and awkward, we'll never do that again? So it was uh, oh, so interesting. I could say, okay, I know the numbers from this. There was around 120 people in total who went out into the community. There was about 18 of these TVAC students that went out as well, but yes. 120 people in total. And in, like... Basically, a little under an hour, because we we only had a short time to be able to do this. We were down in Kurumbong. We traveled up into Newcastle. It was after lunch and whatnot, so we only had a short time. A a little under an hour, I'd say 45 minutes. Uh, 120 people were able to conjure up 41 different contacts, 30 of those being interested in doing Bible studies. Praise God. With some of those people being from our student group. And how did this affect the students? Well... 
I could tell, like, honestly, like, yeah, some students were keen. I think there was some boys who were just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk to randoms. Uh, but for most of the students, you could tell there was that little bit of tension, that awkwardness, that self-consciousness, like, oh, man, a little bit I, of trepidation. I have to talk to people. like About Jesus. About God, like, randoms. I just have to walk up to them and ask them to do a survey with me. I was trying to tell them, like, look, firstly, God is on your side. Like, this is an amazing work. Like, get out there and do it. Secondly, like... You're you're a young kid from a different location on a school trip. Like, who wouldn't want to talk to you? Like, who wouldn't want to be polite to you? And I think they started to realize that and they were getting into all kinds of conversations. Like, I was seeing uh, there was these two boys who were, like, talking to this couple for, like, 20 minutes talking about religion. And they actually, that couple actually gave them their details, said, oh, we'd love to learn more about the Bible. Like, it was really, really amazing. But ultimately, I think in the end, all the students, I could see them walk back. And when we got back into the circle to pray and thank God for what he had done, there was like a fire in their eyes. And the appeal to them, especially, you know, to everyone, it was like, well, you can go and do this work. But appeals, especially to the students, is like, okay, you've walked up to a bunch of randoms and started conversations with them in a very forced way about Jesus. And some people have responded positively. Imagine if you're at school. Imagine if you're, you know, hanging out with your friends imagine the impact that you can have. Like, if this is really you, if you really have this this desire to share Jesus, which a lot of these students do, do, like, they, I could really see that they wanted to do this. They want to be a part of this. They want to share Jesus with people. You know, it's just the awkwardness of getting and sharing with randoms. Look, if you want to do this, like, at your school in which you, especially as year 11 and 12 students, like, they have so much influence. It's like, you can, do, like, if you've been able to go and talk to randoms about this, what about your schoolyard friends? Like, couldn't you do it to that? And I could really see all of a sudden there was a fire in their eyes. Like, yes, like we can do this. I was also really blessed to spend time with the teachers of the school as well. And they were kind of, we had it where there was like a, you know, a group of kids who would go out and then there was like one teacher chaperoning them. And the teachers were really, really into it as well. Just talking to the kids like, hey, there's that that, that couple over there. You should go and talk to them. Oh, da, da, like just directing them around. And uh, I was kind of just overseeing and facilitating, making sure people had resources and, and just sending people in different directions. Like it was so fun. Okay, so you guys went to the beach. Uh, I raised this issue before. This is literally the shortest days of the year. <laughs> yeah. This so, is the least the yeah. least beach opportunity that we get. Yeah. Like it's freezing cold yeah. out there. And you know, you get one or two iceberg kind of people who go to the beach at uh-huh. this time of year and will go for a surf or go for a swim. But you don't have those big crowds of people laying back on the sand. I was literally in the bus, like driving up there. My heart is pounding because you know we've you got together this is with be an epic failure. That's right, we've got it together. There was a group of us who was facilitating this. It was uh, a guy named Tom and uh, a lady named Na and myself. We get together, we've facilitated this. I'm like, okay, I'll take him to the beach. It'll be good. And I know that it can work because I've done it before. But I'm like, my heart is racing because I'm like, what if we show up and there's no one there? Like exactly, I'm, but. There was plenty of people, not people swimming, people walking down the path, people in the, you know, Civic Park. There was well enough people there that there was 18 students and then they were paired up into groups. So there was about, you know, nine pairs, eight pairs, nine pairs or so. And there were plenty of people to go and talk to around. And I guess on Saturday we did have a beautiful winter day. It was an awesome day. Like, if it was raining out, like, yes, yikes. But it was a sunny day. It was really beautiful. And God really blessed. There were people around to talk to. You know, it wasn't, like, just absolutely packed like a beach day. But if anything, it made it better because it was less distraction. Like, you go and talk to someone and actually get their attention. 
Yeah, fantastic. So God really blessed. Shout out AYC. We had such an amazing day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And here comes the next question in our quiz. All right, the next question is, what was Jesus' first public miracle? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you can go into the running to win the incredible, amazing Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, an incredible, expensive, awesome leather edition by E.G. White, getting into one of the longest sermons, well, the longest recorded sermon that we have that Jesus preached, and really just gleaning and extrapolating everything that was said and all the powerful wisdom that Jesus gave within that sermon. So, yeah, 0491 what was Jesus' first public miracle? All right, here we go. Massive stories happening over the weekend. Yep. Let's talk about them. The Blues won the state of origin. <laughs> Powerful stuff. <laughs> no, that would be an interesting story. Well, that would be a that would be a newsworthy story, but not one that we're going to talk about yeah, here that's on Faith right. FM. So, Amen. Yeah, congratulations to New South Wales. Well done. But let's talk about things that actually uh, affect. That actually, yeah, that actually matter. Because it doesn't actually matter whether the Blues or the Maroons win. It's just it matters. It's just a bunch of people me. having fun. Yeah. Uh, but Roe versus Wade and the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which uh-huh. we've, you've been bombarded with all weekend, I'm mm-hmm. sure, uh, it certainly does matter. Of course, half of the states in the United States are now set to ban abortion mm-hmm. uh, or almost to ban it, if not totally ban abortion. But what we've, there's a couple of things we've got to remind ourselves of. First of all, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which is, of course is a Supreme Court decision, uh, doesn't ban abortion in the United States. And it certainly has no effect on Australia whatsoever at all. We certainly hope that it does have effect on Australia from a cultural perspective. Uh, but that's, you know, something that we're just going to have to wait and see. Mm. Now, uh, it's important to understand the role of the Supreme Court in America because in many ways we think of them last. We think of the presidency first. We think of, you know, the Senate and the Congress as being those bodies that are the most powerful when it comes to shaping the United States and making laws that affect the United States. But... The actual most important part is the Supreme Court because they're the ones who define the laws that Congress makes and the President signs. Mm. And so they actually have the most power because all of the courts under them are then bound by the precedent that they set. And so Mm. this is – we've got to remember that in the US system this is the most powerful – the powerful legislative in many ways forces that there is. Mm. And so what they have done is that they have not banned abortion. What they have said is that this is, you do not have a constitutional right to kill unborn babies. Mm. And I think that's absolutely very Mm. fair. I see this decision as one that is going to go down in history as a reversal of a long or a significant line of bad decisions that have been made. Mm. probably starting in the United States with slavery was a terribly bad decision uh-huh. that was reversed. Yeah. Yep. Probably the next big one to come along would be eugenics. Terrible bad decision. Terrible practices that took place in relationship to eugenics. And that was reversed 
because we saw the horrific consequences of it. Mm. We saw the horrific consequences of slavery, so we reversed that. We saw the horrific consequences of eugenics, so we reserved that, reversed that. We've seen the horrific consequences of abortion, so now that has been reversed. Uh, probably the next one, yeah, maybe in 70 years' time from now, we'll see the horrific consequences of radical gender ideology and reverse that. Mm. If time is to last, and I do not see that time could possibly last that long, but we do seem to learn very, very slowly, mm. and we seem to see to learn from our mistakes at about the speed of an iceberg. Mm. So hopefully this will carry some momentum with it. This was a bad decision in the first place, the Roe versus Wade decision to make abortion a constitutional right was a terrible decision that was based purely on ideology and had nothing to do with legality. Mm. The Supreme Court back in the 1970s, of course, stated that the Constitution contained an implied, because it didn't obviously address abortion, an implied right to be able to kill unborn children. Mm. Now, I just want to remind our audience that you know when we talk about abortion, we're talking about very simple, probably one of the most sensitive uh, topics that we ever raise here. We do know that this will trigger a whole bunch of issues for a bunch of people. And uh, if you're struggling with that, the lifeline number is 131114. Do give them a call. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> getting back to what we were talking about, to think that the founding fathers who wrote the US Constitution wrote into it an implied right to abortion is just ludicrous. I mean, this is an era in which, generally speaking, the penalty for abortion was death. Yeah. And the Supreme Court in the 1970s is going to turn around and say, like, yeah, we think they... No, they, no, we don't even think it... They definitely implied a right to abortion. Mm. No, that was not in the minds of the Founding Fathers when they wrote the Constitution. All right, well, i got a question to ask you. Yes. Do you think the overturning of Roe versus Wade is a legislative morality, legislating morality, and pushing towards the combining of church and state? Because that's from a Christian perspective, that is very much the question that a lot of people have. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, no, not at all. Mm. I don't see that in any way, shape, or form. The first four commandments are commandments that should never, ever be legislated. Yes. But the last six are commandments that should. Mm-hmm. So, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. These are all commandments in the Ten Commandments that are moral laws and uh, should be enforced through civil legislation. Okay. So, the first four commandments, no, that stays separate. We don't touch those. You don't have civil legislation involved in those. But the last six, yeah, definitely. Mm. Uh, so, no, this is not an issue of union of church and state that we have right here even though the anti-abortion movement is largely pushed by people of faith. Yes. And I don't see that as being a problem because it simply demonstrates that people of faith generally have a higher uh, appreciation of life because they see all human beings as being the individual creation of God. Mm. And uh, for Christians, Christians do not put their, their faith aside when they talk about separation of church and faith. What they do is they argue the issues based on good arguments that will have a powerful influence on secular people 
rather than just using the Bible and the Bible says this, therefore you as a secular person have to follow what the Bible says. No, that's not what it's about. That's right. Yeah, the the, the, the pro-life arguments, like I, I, I think that, oh, God said murder is wrong is probably one of the one of the least used arguments yes. by the pro-life movement. No, it's just, that's right. And neither yeah. it should be. That's not the approach that we should make because for a secular person who is not a person of faith, that argument is irrelevant. Mm. They don't believe in God, so that argument's gone. And so we shouldn't be using those kinds of arguments. If you're going to argue against, you know, radical gender ideology, if you're going to argue against abortion, use good secular arguments. You mm. don't need to go and Bible bash people, and that's going to have no effect. Mm. But a really good question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, I think one of the other things that stands out to this is the incomplete science that was involved when, uh, you know, we had a very incomplete understanding of life. Mm. And we had a very incomplete understanding of abortion, what takes place and how it affects life back in the 1970s. And legislation should change and should respond to scientific advance. We've, we've, we've seen that in relationship to slavery. We've seen that in relationship to eugenics. Yeah. And we should continue to see that relationship. It's been interesting to see how the churches have responded. Franklin Graham uh, says the United States Supreme Court's just announced one of the most significant rulings in my lifetime. It was egregiously wrong from the start. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church says the Supreme Court has overturned Roe versus Wade, ending the federal support of abortion. Millions of unborn Americans say thank you. Alliance Defending Freedom, Roe versus Wade, fabricated a federal constitutional right to abortion and has resulted in the deaths of more than 60 million unborn children in the United States, the states may now fully protect innocent unborn life. Uh, Jensen Franklin says, This is a remarkable answer to the prayers of millions of people for decades. I honestly never dreamed in my lifetime I would see this happen. We do not gloat or dare say anything but praise to our God for this courageous and just decision by the Supreme Court. Now we must support, support love, and demonstrate God's grace and goodness to would-be mothers yes. and the precious children Agreed. this decision has rescued. And this is something that we need to now focus on as Christians. For a long time as Christians, we've stood up and said, we do not need abortion because we will support mothers and we will support children. Mm. Now it is incumbent on us to put our money and our actions where our mouth is mm. and prove that this is actually the case, that we will support mothers and we will support children mm. uh, in the system because if we don't, you know, abortion has created a culture within the church where we don't support mother, mothers and children because it's like, well, you know, everybody who doesn't want to have a child gets an abortion and we have gotten slack. Mm. You know, it's just like when socialism comes along and hands out free welfare, the church stops doing welfare because uh -huh. now the government is doing it and it makes church people slack. Mm. And we need to now step up and be the Christians that we have always said that we would be. Amen. All right, I'm going to finish on that. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Before we go to our interview of the day, Lawson, give us another question for our quiz. All right, here we go. Another question for the quiz. The Bible says, "Which of the following object?" Oh, this is a multiple choice. Oh, we've never we've never done multiple choice. Not in which, this particular quiz. Which of the following objects was not used by James as an analogy for the tongue? A horse's bit, the helm of a ship, a double edged sword, a double edged sword, 
and a fire. 0491-064-669 is the number to call. Again, that prize that we have was Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings by Ellen G.Y. An incredible, awesome commentary into the amazing sermon that Jesus preached, the longest sermon that he preached on the Mount of Blessing. But again, that question was, and again, this is multiple choice, so listen out. Which of the following objects was not used by James as an analogy for the tongue? A horse's bit, the helm of a ship, a double-edged sword, and fire. 0491-064-669. That's a really cool question, actually. Ah, that'll get you all thinking. Mm. But joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. Justin Jackson. Dr. Justin Jackson is a Christian doctor, an internal medicine and infectious disease specialist. Dr. Justin Jackson, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. And, uh, of course, we're going to continue on our theme of looking at uh, the Creation Week in relationship to health. What's our topic for discussion today? Well, our topic um, is is a little bit interesting today. So we're going to talk about temperance, the word that um, we don't really, really hear used that much these days, do we? No. For those who are interested in uh, modern history, of course, you go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, and this was, you know, there were massive temperance organisations right across Australia, uh, right across the Western world. This was, a, this was a major issue, and it was a major word that was used regularly, and people campaigned about it. There were political movements based around temperance. Why don't we hear that word used anymore? I don't know. It seems like it's gone out of vogue. There's a good definition, though, that I've heard, and I think it's um, it's very applicable to to our health. And we do we are going to discover that it is there in the creation week as well. So the best definition that I think um, you know easiest to to understand is temperance is moderation in that which is beneficial and avoidance of those things that are harmful. Right, and that makes a whole lot of sense right there. I mean, really, isn't that just temperance saying, isn't that just common sense? You'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Except that common no, sense is not so common, right? Uh, sometimes sometimes not, and sometimes we, I think uh, we, we'll be falling into traps where we don't actually trace cause and effect. Um, and that's why back in the, in the creation week, um, God actually put in the Garden of Eden an object there and he outlined the cause and effect of of that object and the harm that might come from it. Right. So there was the possibility of harm in a perfect environment. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? And unpacking that could really get us off track. It could, it could. So let's not let's not go there. I'm, that's just sort of where my head's going at the moment. So um, I think I might know where you're going with this. Um, we've already studied, you know, how God created an abundance of trees and all sorts of food that was, you know, pleasant to the eye, delicious to taste, healthy to the body. But this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, with this explicit warning against eating from it, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, no, you're on track with with my thoughts. So so that's right, God. He didn't really create anything harmful. He created humans with a natural inclination to be obedient. And it's that act of obedience um, that strengthens our physical health. So harm would only result from disobeying God. And, of course, God did create us with free choice, without which we couldn't love him or love others. Okay, so if it wasn't the tree that was really harmful, 
uh, the only thing with potential for harm in Eden was then actually human beings' ability for free choice, and free choice was created out of a desire for reciprocal love. I mean, without free choice, love does not exist. Free choice is what creates the possibility of love. Yes, yeah, and it's no different today. God is still a God that gives us free choice and strengthens us to make the right choice. So I want to focus on a substance today where the harms are perhaps trivialized in our society, um, but like the tree in the garden that God warned against, I believe that only complete avoidance will result in optimal health and well-being. And the thing that I want to focus this on is actually alcohol. And so in the Bible, we're given an explicit warning, not even to gaze at it when it's red. Um, it says here in Proverbs, when the wine is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, in the end it'll bite like a snake and poison like a viper. So that's what I was saying before. The harms, you know, they're not often immediately seen. Um, and many instances, you know, I don't think we, we, we understand the cause and effect relationship. Yes, and I think if we, you know, think about being bitten by a venomous snake, particularly here in Australia, where Australians we understand venomous snakes, we would go to great lengths not to do that because the consequences of that are not good. But when it comes to alcohol, we tend to just like, yeah, we'll get bitten by that venomous snake. Uh, it's been accepted in our culture as a norm. So mm. I guess my question is then, how significant? is its impact on society today? I think its, it's impact, um, the scientific literature would tell us its impact is, is very large. Some studies have shown that up to one in four, so that's 25% of people in our emergency department, and we're hearing a lot about overcrowding in the emergency department and hospitals under strain and ambulances ramping. One in four of those people there are there um, because of a cause attributable to alcohol. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, an Ambo recently <clears throat> and he just told me straight out, he said, look, if it wasn't for alcohol, I'd be out of a job. He said, we'd just be doing patient mm. transport. That's it. We wouldn't be doing any emergencies. Um, mm. you know, that's no doubt an exaggeration, but that was just sort of his anecdotal attitude towards alcohol and I was like, wow, that's a pretty heavy statement. Uh, but 25%, that's, yeah. that's, that's backed up by research. That's a massively high number. It is. And I think... The reason that that number is so high is because of the huge range of different problems that alcohol actually causes. So we would be well aware of the pretty direct causes like the snake bite, you know, illustration before, um, due to impaired judgment. I can remember my wife actually is an emergency physician and I can remember her coming home one day and sharing the story of a young bride-to-be who went on a winery tour with her girlfriend and was so drunk that she collapsed behind the bus, the tour bus, and it backed over her. Oh, no. She was brought in, you know, with a crushed pelvis, which isn't the way, you know, you want to spend your, your wedding. Um, and so we, we well recognise the road trauma. Then there's the domestic, family, sexual violence, um, the self-harm, suicide, um, and acute alcohol poisoning. They're the immediate consequences, but there's also a huge array of, of long-term consequences as well where the cause and effect is not so immediately apparent. Okay, so we often um, talk about responsible drinking or uh, drinking in moderation, 
these kinds of issues, particularly I hear Christians talking about this. You as a doctor are saying, no, don't even touch the stuff. Um, what would you say to you know the person who's like, you know, one or two drinks a day is not so bad? Yeah, look, I think the Australian Government Department of Health website puts it really well, and I'll just share that, that quote with your listeners. Um, it says, alcohol is never completely safe. It can cause harm to the person who drinks and sometimes to those around, more often than we realise. Um, how much you drink is your choice, but you should know that drinking is never free of risk. The less you drink, the lower your risk of harm from alcohol. So that's the end of the quote there. And I, I couldn't really put it any clearer than that. Um, this is particularly important for those who are under 25, um, for those who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Um, you know, it's well recognized that when a woman drinks alcohol during pregnancy, the baby, the unborn baby, gets the same level of alcohol as is in the mother's blood. Um, exactly the same. And the baby's brain, which starts developing often before a woman even knows she's pregnant, can really be affected. Yeah, wow, that's um, that's 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 really you know because a woman can often go six, even eight weeks without actually twigging to the fact that she's pregnant, and by then, yeah, by what? then it's you know the effects have already taken place. Um, so, yeah, and, and the other thing so, I guess you know when you talk about breastfeeding children and so forth is, and I'll just throw this question out there: breast cancer is breast cancer related to alcohol use? I might be jumping yeah, a little bit ahead yeah. here, but I'm just sort of... No, no. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really good question. So um, I just pick us up on the, on the guidelines, and the guidelines don't actually um, aim for zero risk. So, you know, stepping your question back one before to the previous one about, you know, is one or two drinks okay? The guidelines actually incorporate the fact that we're willing to take risk, and Cancer is is one of those um, risks that are really well recognised. So, seven at least seven different cancers are caused by alcohol. Um, they're cancer, cancer of the mouth, the throat, the windpipe, food pipe, liver, colon, and as you were just asking about, um, breast cancer as well. Okay, so how many? How much? How much? Just just in cancer, how many deaths are caused by alcohol? Oh, look, the number would be would be massive. So studies really suggest that probably around 6% of cancer deaths worldwide and if you think of, you know, probably about 10 million cancer deaths worldwide with 6% of that, um, over the decades, cancer um, deaths due to alcohol would represent millions upon millions. So why is it that we hear so much about, you know, smoking, nicotine is going to give you cancer, it's going to kill you, but it seems that alcohol is exactly the same. You, you, you're taking a carcinogenic product straight into your body. Why aren't we hearing so much? Why don't we have the campaigns against alcohol that we have against smoking? I think that this relates probably to two things. Um, I think probably the first one is the cultural norms, how accepted it is in society. And I think the second one is really industry and the same sort of advertising um, campaigns that were going on with tobacco in the 1950s where the population was suddenly thinking to itself, oh, you know, maybe tobacco is, is causing these harms and these cancers. Um, the, the alcohol companies are really doing the same thing. So there's a lot of misleading 
studies, um, industry bias studies that are, that are put out there. Um, and, you know, one of the things is, it's often heard that alcohol is good for your heart. Um, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, there are components in grapes that are used to make, you know, wine and barley that's used to make beer and apples that are used to make cider that are beneficial to the heart. Um, but alcohol is absolutely not, not one of them. So alcohol is a toxin. It's a toxic to the heart tissue in the same way as we've just seen all those other organs where it causes cancer um, and it can damage heart muscle. Um, it can damage the electrical system of the heart, resulting in, I, I don't know if you've heard of atrial fibrillation? Yes. Yeah, so it's a common arrhythmia <clears throat> where the top chambers of the heart don't pump in a strong coordinated way and the blood can pull in those chambers and when it's stagnant, as we know, blood then clots and those clots can travel to the brain and cause a stroke. So this is, you know, serious problems again, like as serious as cancer, um, you know, people don't want to have a stroke, but they don't really trace it back to the um, alcohol that they're drinking. So I was, I was recently talking to an elderly friend of mine who stated that, you know, he's, he's, he's not as young as he used to be. He's on a certain on certain medications. Some of those medications yeah. are not great for him, but they are a better alternative than dying younger. And he also has, you know, a glass of wine several times a week because uh, that's going to be good for his heart. And he's like, well, this is, I understand this is a drug and I understand it's not ideal for me, but this is what's keeping me going. Uh, this is what I need to have to keep me going. What would you just say to somebody like that? I mean, this was information that he'd gotten from his doctor. Yes. Well, again, similar to the tobacco story, doctors are often in, involved in um, sometimes information that's, that's um, industry biased um, and biased with, with their personal habits as well. Um, so, look, I'd certainly say have a glass of grape juice, um, but, you know, the medications that we're talking about, atrial fibrillation, which causes the blood clots, the medication... Um, perhaps that um, people like the gentleman you describe are on are blood thinners. Um, and used, that used to be warfarin, which is Ratsac. Um, and the risk of being on a blood thinner is that you then have bleeding. And so, you know, you, you create a little bit of a vicious cycle where one thing increases the risk and then the solution to that problem actually causes an, a new problem. Whereas that's not the way with the elements in the creation week that, that God gave us. Everything that he's put there decreases risk all round. Okay, so when you talk about you know things like um, bleeding and hemorrhaging and so forth, what about blood clots? What about stroke? That kind of thing is. Does alcohol affect that? It it absolutely does. So yeah, so one mechanism is via the heart. Um, but an interesting study looking at Asian people where they've got a gene that results in flushing, uh, a very unpleasant flushing reaction um, in um, different parts of their population. So some people are strongly affected by it, some people are moderately affected, etc. And this relates to the amount of alcohol that they're you know, able to tolerate. And so people can then study out these groups and because it's not confounded by cigarettes or exercise or other things, work out what is exactly attributable to alcohol. 
And like cancer, the percentage is about the same, 6 to 8%, maybe even higher for bleeding strokes. And so again, if you've got 10 million strokes worldwide per year um, and alcohol is causing at least 1 in 20, maybe 1 in 10 of those, this is a, a, a huge number of, of cases attributable to alcohol. Dr. Justin Jackson, one final question. Uh, many people believe that Jesus uh, created alcohol at the wedding. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I believe that Jesus is the one that created us in the first place, and he set in order the health principles that we've been studying from the creation week. He designed us incredibly complex, and he understands what will cause our happiness, our well-being, and our health. Um you're talking about the wedding feast. He designed marriage in the creation week. He doesn't change, and this story endorses his design of marriage. Um, he made the original creation without sickness and decay and fermentation, and again, he doesn't change. So I believe in that story he made the pure joy, the juice of the grape for us to enjoy. And when we compare that to the communion juice that celebrates his spilt blood, um, that blood was untouched by sin, and fermentation is a symbol of sin. So by parallel, this is again the pure juice of, of the grape. Dr. Justin Jackson, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.